Good morning. Today on this Pentecost Sunday, we're going to talk about the prayer that moves the hand of God. But before I begin, I feel like the Lord wants to ask each one of us some questions. Now, this is between you and him. I'm not asking for anybody to raise your hands. But just for a moment, the Lord would say, and please be honest, are you happy with your prayer life? Do you like praying? Do you believe that your prayers are heard? Do your prayers prevail with God? Now just for a moment, let's be still before the Lord and you talk to him and tell him what you desire in your life of prayer. Let's pray. I want to tell you a story, and this story is actually about the first time I ever prayed. Now, growing up, I prayed all kinds of rote prayers like we do in church. I recited these prayers without really engaging my mind or my heart. But this time, I prayed. At the time, I didn't even know the Lord. But this incident that happened was very instrumental in me coming to know him. My son was born in Malawi. I know some of you are from there. It's a small country in sort of central southern Africa, and it's called the Warm Heart of Africa, and it's aptly named. My husband was working there on a contract in Lilongwe, and we lived there for three years. And during that time, Aaron was born. Now, Aaron was not actually my first child. I lost my first baby. So when Aaron arrived, that poor child was smothered with all the love that I had for him, as well as the first one. He was born in a little bush hospital, way off in the mountains, off on dirt tracks that actually became impassable during the rainy season. And he was born at the height of the rains. In any case, everything went well. That is, up until he was about three months old. And we had gone to a christening in Blantyre. And on the way home, he became very sick. So we rushed to the hospital, and the doctor told me that he had a case of dysentery. And he said, we're going to try to treat this with antibiotics, and you're not to worry. Well, I was worried. <laughs> and um, in any case, the nurse came in, and she said, you know, we're very busy here. Would you mind administering the medicine? So I said, no, that would be fine. Now, her English was not good. 
And the way she explained administering the medicine was incorrect. And I, I gave my son an overdose. Three times the amount of antibiotic he was supposed to receive. And Aaron went into a coma. Now he was really sick. And the doctor said to me, I'm sorry, there is nothing we can do. We'll just have to wait and see. But don't worry, he's going to be all right. But I noticed that they brought oxygen into the next room. And I knew it was just in case. Okay, there I was all alone in the African night with my baby lying still in a cot with his eyes glazed over just staring. Not one cry or peep out of him. And you know, I began to pray. And I prayed all night. And I don't even know what I prayed because I didn't know how to pray. But you know, maybe we're better off if we don't know how to pray. And I still remember the bare light bulb over that bed. I remember the concrete floor and walls. I even remember the skirt I wore. And I bent over that baby and I prayed all night long and I said, oh God, save my child. I said, please. Don't let him die. And I got so desperate, I started to try to make deals with God. And I said, God, if you're there, if you're somewhere and you're here in my prayer, please, I promise you, I will bring him up for you. I'll take him to church. I'll teach him your ways, but don't let him die. And by morning, when the sun rose up, over those mountains, my son was healed. Amen. Now, you know, <clears throat> I didn't know God, but all I know is that desperate prayer of a mother moved his hand. And you know, I kept my part of the deal. I wrapped Aaron up as a baby and I took him to church every Sunday. And it took me a long time to come to know God, but I did come to know him and so did Aaron. <laughs> what is prayer that moves the hand of God? What makes mere prayer powerful? Is God impressed by our beautiful flowery eloquence? Are we heard because we're loud or long-winded or wordy? Matthew 6 verse 7 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. 
Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So what does it take to be a person whose prayers are heard? Who is it that has the ear of God? Now the Bible records some very wonderful examples of prayers that prevailed. First Samuel 1 verse 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept and prayed, O Lord Almighty, if you will look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Hannah had a baby boy. 2 Kings 20 verse 2, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O oh God, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly, and he was healed. John 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible and probably one of the most powerful. Jesus wept. And as Jesus wept and groaned, Lazarus came up out of that tomb. You know, it appears that prayers don't even have to have words. The early Christian monks called it the gift of tears, liquid prayers. Now, it's interesting, too, that in the lead-up of great revivals and awakenings, you will always find someone somewhere who is crying out to God. And there always appears to be a small but persistent group of people, usually a small group, at the grassroots level, with a spirit of holy expectation who pray fervently for a deluge from heaven. You probably never heard of Peggy and Christine, two elderly Scottish ladies who lived in a cottage in Barvan. And they were housebound because Peggy was blind and Christine had severe arthritis. Unable to attend public worship, their cottage became like a sanctuary where they met with God. And these two aged sisters got a promise from God. He said this, I will pour water upon him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. So day and night, Peggy and Christine reminded God of what he himself promised that he would do. And so God came and he did what he said. Multitudes of people came to know the Lord. Whole communities gave their hearts in surrender to the Lord in the Hebrides revival. These two old dears in their lockdown didn't make it to church, but they made it right into the throne room of heaven. How about Jeremiah Lampier, 
a man who had a terrific burden from God for the city of New York. And he decided to start a lunch hour prayer meeting on Fulton Street, right in the middle of the financial district. And he started all by himself. One man in the middle of all those skyscrapers and stock market offices. But gradually others joined. And so did a great awakening come. Four men, James McQuilkin, Jeremiah Manili, John Wallace and Robert Vance gathered in a little schoolhouse in Kells near Ballymena. And these four men began to cry out to God for Ireland. And unceasingly and persistently, those four men gathered. And that little schoolhouse became the epicenter of the Great Awakening of 1859. You know, you've probably never heard of those people. Their names never appeared in lights. They never appeared on billboards, in advertisements. In fact, they were never on the God Channel. And maybe in the world's eyes, they weren't anybody special. But they were celebrated in God's eyes. They were his heroes. And what's more, they had the ear of the king, and their prayer moved the hand of God. Now, what makes prayer powerful? Because all of us know it is. Samuel Chadwick writes, power is the recompense of prayer. It takes us long to learn that prayer is more important than organization, more powerful than armies, more influential than wealth, and mightier than all learning. Prevailing prayer makes men invincible. Those who prepare, prevail in the secret place of the Most High cannot be beaten anywhere. All things are possible to secret prayer. Wesley Duell says, Satan would rather have you do anything but pray. He would have you busy working for God rather than praying to God. More than anything else you can ever do, prevailing prayer has the potential to hinder Satan, to damage his kingdom, and to rob him of his human followers and slaves. Now, on a personal level, I believe that primarily the secret to prevailing prayer is this. It's relationship. Relationship with God. Now this is so important. Your relationship with God is based upon and develops through your prayer life. He saved you for relationship. And this is what he wants more than anything else. He didn't save you for some kind of a high-profile ministry. He saved you because he desires a relationship with you. And that relationship is only developed as you communicate with him 
in the secret place. It's those quiet times when you waste time with the Lord, when you talk with him, when you commune with him, and just be with him. I like to think of somebody who had a very special relationship with God, and that was Mary Magdalene. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, even before he ascended to the Father, he came first to this seemingly insignificant little woman out of whom he had cast seven demons. But you know, Mary had sat at his feet and she was at the cross and she was at the tomb. And it seems that he comes to those who want him most. And he comes to us not because we're somebody special, but it's because we're waiting and we're listening and we're longing for him. Relationship is what he wants from you more than anything else. And you need to realize this. Your prayers are precious to him. Your prayers are like fragrant incense and they waft up into the throne room of heaven. They smell sweet to him and he treasures them and he gathers them up in golden bowls and he savors them. He keeps track of every single tear that you shed. And he says to you today, as in Song of Solomon's 2.14, show me your face. Let me hear your voice. There is no one who can pray just like you. And it's true, you know, all of us have a call. Every person in this room has a ministry. All of us have a place where we are meant to serve the Lord. But you know, the important thing is your relationship with him. Because in that relationship, your anointing for that ministry flows. You know, I once heard a prominent leader. This was a man and he had oversight over churches in a nation. And I was at a conference where he was speaking and he said this, you know, I don't have time to pray. And that grieved my heart so much. If you're too busy to pray, you're too busy. And communing with God releases something in your life. It releases a power into your life. A power to serve, but also a power to intercede and pray for others. In abiding and communing with him, your heart becomes sensitive to his heart. And this power that he gives you, it engenders prayer. You draw into him and into his compassions. And this is what he wants more than anything else. So I want to ask you today, seriously, is this missing in your life? Is prayer a struggle for you? Something that you engage in the odd time? 
usually when you're in trouble, do you find it a burden to pray? You know, the word says in Matthew 22, 37, you all know this verse, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you lack that passion? Do you lack that passion in your prayer? Now, I believe there's a very simple key. If you want this, and this is it, to let him love you first. You see, we love because he first loved us. And in James 4, verse 8, it says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw aside, wait on him, let him love you. It's what he wants to do more than anything else. He wants to heal your brokenness, to make you whole. He would love to do that. I can remember a time when I was really struggling as a new Christian. I found it so hard, and I knew that I needed to get near him because if I could just get near him, he would strengthen me. I just couldn't go on. And you know, the Lord gave me this scripture, and he gave it to me three times in one day, and it finally clicked. And I'm gonna give it to you three times in three different versions. Please receive this. John 6, verse 37. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I will never turn away anyone who comes to me. The veil is rent. You can come in. You're welcome. Take time to develop that relationship. Form a good habit of prayer. And that place of communion with him will become the sweetest place to you. Matthew eleven twenty eight verse 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He says, take my yoke. Now, in Africa, I often used to see oxen attached together in a yoke, pulling a plow. Now, think about it. When you put on a yoke, you have to bow your head. And to put on the yoke with Jesus, you have to bow your head. And prayer, there was a prayer that was actually started the great revival in Wales. And it was uttered by Evan Rob Roberts. And he said this, bend me, O Lord. And the theme of that revival actually was, bend the church and save the world. 
Now, if we want prayer that prevails in our life, I feel that we need to have a life of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer. Now, this is not to say that we ever earn anything. Let's not go back to religion where we're striving and earning. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about yielding to the Holy Spirit as he forms the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. One of the fruits of the Spirit, I feel, is a key to prevailing in prayer with God. And this fruit, I believe, is not found in any one of us naturally, especially not in me. And that fruit is meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness. It takes tremendous strength to be meek. Moses was called the meekest man on earth, but you know, he was not naturally meek either. Moses spent 40 years on the backside of a desert when God was developing his leadership skills. What is meekness? I once heard it compared to the taming of a wild horse. Now think about a horse, a very strong, powerful animal. What power is in those legs and in his mighty body? And what destruction can come from that horse if it's not tamed? But when it's tamed, that power is channeled for good. Jesus was called the terrible meek. And many people who witnessed his crucifixion were awestruck. They were terrified by this strange new power of surrender and selfless love that conquered death. He submitted himself completely to the will of the Father. Now, how is meekness seen in our lives? Do we have a rein on our tongue? Do we hit back when we're provoked? Or do we respond with grace? This convicts me even as I read it. Do we push ourselves forward and strive for the top position? Or do we take a humble seat? Are we willing to bend and wash very dirty feet? Ironically, the meek inherit the earth and the meek have the ear of the king. Now there's also a word that is, we commonly hear with regard to prayer. When I first heard it, I had to look it up in the dictionary. It's an amazing word. It's called importunity. 
And it means perseverance, persistence, boldness in faith, not backing down, not quitting. And we see this in the Bible among people who prevail. How about the persistent widow? She wouldn't leave that judge alone until she got her answer. But here's one of my favorite examples. It's in 1 Kings 18, 41 to 46. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Ah, I love that story. You know, Elijah was a man who prayed in his praying, and he walked with God. And he had spoken God's word that there was going to be a drought in the land. And because he had communion with God, because he was in a place of intimacy, he could hear the rain in his spirit. Elijah had a promise of rain. But you know, he didn't just sit back and say, well, God's given me this promise, so I know it's going to come. Elijah knew that God waits for prayer. In fact, John Wesley said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. So Elijah got down on his face before the Lord. He bent down and he began to travail. And this is really what he was doing. He was giving birth. And he sent his servant to see, was there a sign? And the rain didn't come the first time or the second time or the third time, but on the seventh time, the perfect number, he saw a sign, a sign, just a sign of a hand, and he knew that the rain was coming. Now, along with importunity, there's another element that I believe enhances prayer, and that is desperation. Desperation makes our prayers hot. It makes them fervent. It makes them passionate. And desperation, we all know, is not a comfortable thing. But it's a good thing if it drives us to our knees. I want to ask you, are you desperate for God to move in Ireland? 
prayer that prevails with God is born from relationship with God. It's developed through the meekness of surrender in that place where we are yoked with Jesus. Prevailing prayer has an element of importunity, not backing down. And finally, the prayer that prevails with God, I believe, is actually born in the heart of God. And this is why relationship is so important. It's why that intimacy is a key. In the place of communion with God, we share with him our concerns, we give him our fears, we talk to him, but you know there's much more to it than that. Because in the in place of intimacy with God, God shares with us. Now let's just think about that for a moment. What an unspeakable privilege. What an inexpressible honor to have the God of all creation, the sovereign almighty one, share the burden that's on his heart with you and me. You see, the prayer that prevails with God does not originate in the heart of a man. It's God's prayer. Romans 8 verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And as God imparts his burden and his longing into us, we pray his prayer by the Holy Spirit, and our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit prays in us. Quite simply, it's this. God prays in you. And to me, that has to be the pinnacle of human existence, to have God praying in me. And I'll tell you something. When we get those groans, when we pray those prayers, when we weep those tears, we will birth what is on his heart. And there's one thing for sure, a great awakening for Ireland is on the heart of God. And I know some of you are thinking right now, oh, that's for some kind of super spiritual people, not for somebody like me. No, that's not true. I have seen a child get down on the floor and cry like this and pray. And I have seen the answer, the miraculous answer to that God, child's prayer. Oh, that God would give us his prayer. The prayer that prevails and ushers in an awakening. On this day, over 2,000 years ago, a group of fearful, confused, disappointed disciples gathered in an upper room. 
and they had been instructed by Jesus to do so. Acts 1 verse 8, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Now, can you imagine them up there devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread, but most of all, to devoting themselves to prayer. And on that day, oh, how their prayers prevailed. The heavens were opened. And Peter, this guy who was fearful, he was afraid of a servant girl and denied the, the Lord three times. He got up and preached with fire. And 3,000 people came to the Lord. Let's bow our heads before the Lord together. Father, we seek you with all our hearts today. We acknowledge that our prayer life is not what we long for it to be. But today, on this Pentecost Sunday, we are asking you to do something new in each one of us. We ask you to make us a house of prayer, a people who wait on you, who tarry in your presence, who pray for with importunity. Lord, we are desperate. We are desperate for you to move here in Ireland. We ask you to pour out upon us a spirit of prayer and supplication. On this church, Lord, we pray for the prayer that prevails and ushers in an awakening like this island has never seen before. God, will you open up the heavens Bend this church and save the world, I pray in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> Maybe the worship team would like to come up. I don't want to finish before, <clears throat> sorry, I give you an invitation. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're online and you are like me when I was in that little room up in the mountains in Malawi and you don't really know the Lord. You've never really known his love and his forgiveness. You know, when Jesus died on that cross, he died and took your sin upon himself as if it was his own. He suffered the punishment that was due to you so that you could be reconciled to a holy God who loves you. Now, if you're here today and you have never received him as your savior and your Lord, could I ask you please to just lift up your hand because I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here who's not sure that you belong to Jesus? I'm going to pray just in case there's someone, even online. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you today 
And I thank you that when you died on the cross, you took my sin and my shame. You died for me. Jesus, today, I want to ask you to cleanse me from all my sin with your precious blood. And I ask you, Lord, to come into my heart and be my Lord. I receive you now and I become your child this day and forevermore. Amen.